Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Delaney. That was good. That's how you can tell somebody went to GCU, right there. They are good at bringing cheers and celebrating. Uh, Excited to be with you this morning. Let me uh, just open up the 8 billion things that I carried up. I, uh, I told Katie... You know, there's some messages that as you're writing them, you have, it is so easy and it's so clear and you, and it like, man, you do all your research, you know, leading up to it the weeks. And there's some that just feel like you're smashing your head against the table for three weeks. This is one of those messages where I feel like what God wants to say is so important. And I've just been seeking the Lord that I literally brought up this piece of paper that I've been scrawling on for three weeks. So at some point, depending on how I feel, we might just jump to that. Because I feel like what God is trying to say in this series, it would be so easy for us to just skim over it and be like, oh, that's so nice. Oh, that's so great. But I feel like this morning God is trying to stir something and shake something and change something within us because he has a greater way for us to be experiencing and living with his love. And so I, it would just bless me if we could do this. Could we just pray this morning that not only that uh, the word of God will be preached clearly, amen, uh, but also that our hearts would be open, not just to hearing the words that God wants to speak, not just hearing the scripture, not just hearing some points, not just, you know, getting excited, but that it would do something inside of us so that we didn't waste our hour here, but God transformed something in our spirit and we left going like, wow, I, I've got a greater revelation of the love of God and is changing my life. Amen? Well, let's pray together. God, we pray this morning that your word would just be so resonant inside our hearts. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here this morning with us. And so we yield this service to you. We yield our hearts to you. We yield our biases to you. We yield everything to you. And we just pray, would you speak and lead and guide and transform us this morning in your name. Amen. 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 I'm just so thankful for our team. They've done an incredible job leading us in worship today. Man, I love that song. I uh, move your heart. I, I love the focus of that song. So I just want to, like, not like I'm going to turn your heart towards me, right? But I just, I want to, I want to minister to you, God. I want to pour my love on you because I've recognized something amazing. If this, uh, if this sermon had a title, it would be called "Find Me Looking Crazy at the Feet of Jesus." Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, if uh, if you've been in Arizona for a while, we have a couple seasons. uh, Where I'm from, you can tell it's fall by the turning of the leaves. Here you can tell it's spring by the turning of the license plates. And uh, if you've noticed, because you've tried to go to dinner, lunch, or just live uh, in our city, it is now what we would like to call tourist season. We have three seasons here. We have hot less hot and tourist. Those are our three seasons. And uh, I embrace all of those. In fact, I have some awesome friends who are here visiting in town. Where did they sit? Right here. Amazing people. And uh, I, I also came here as a tourist and fell in love with it. So I'm believing the same is going to happen. And uh, God will move your heart. And <laughs> but uh, amen. But uh, I, I love it. It's so funny. 
now that I have been here for a while, I, I really, I do enjoy the heat. I know hot and less hot are two of our seasons, but I enjoy the heat. But I got to say, I don't blame people for coming here. I know if you've driven around and you, tr you tried to go get a burger or something the other day, you might have been like, I literally can't get in anywhere. And I just want to say, like, of course, because we have this beautiful thing called sunshine right? We have this beautiful, amazing thing called sunshine. And now, if you grew up in Arizona, you're like, it's not that beautiful. It's not that amazing. But let me tell you of a place <laughs> where sunshine does not exist ever. You know, remember in the dark night when he's like, you've adopted darkness. I was born into it. That place is called Seattle. We are all in our spirits, Ra's Ghoul, and uh, we have adopted, we've been born of the darkness there. Um, but I do love it. The reason that it is so green and beautiful in the summer, it's one of the most beautiful places, Washington, most beautiful places on earth, in my opinion, is because it rains all the time so that you can go out and see things called, I know we might not know what this is, your grass and trees and all these great things, and I do love it. But it's interesting, my kids have spent most of their life here in Arizona. They're Arizona kids. One of my kids has spent his whole life here. And so we are so different uh, because I am still like the tourist here soaking up the sun. I can't get enough of it. When it's sunny, I want it. I, I, I see people walking around downtown in jean shorts and it's 50 degrees and I'm like, I get you. I mean, I'm not going to wear jean shorts, but I get you. I get why you're here. I get what's happening. My kids are the opposite. And I think they're very similar to my wife. Like, they want it to be hot all the time. Time, but they love rain. They love rain. And when you talk to people from Arizona, they don't love sunshine. They love rain. And they'll say something to you that is ridiculous. They'll say, I love it when it rains. And I say, yeah, me too. I love it when it rains. I don't love it when rain is a season, right? But, but my kids love it when it rains. Why? Because they don't really have access to it, right? And they could care less when it's sunny. There is no urgency to them that it's sunny. If you told them, you're like, guys, it's so sunny out. You should go out. They're like, that's what we were going to do anyways, because it's sunny every day. And then some days the sun tries to kill us. That's the only difference. <laughs> that's the only difference. But for them, rain is so special. For me, you know, just was never that special growing up because I was close to it. I had access to it. There's something about a lack of closeness that makes us long for something. Right? That old phrase is distance that makes the heart grow fonder. The sad part is it's actually access that gives us the greatest apathy, which is why in Arizona, people can still have a vitamin D deficiency, which blows my mind. The sun is everywhere, guys. But there's a sense of apathy that comes along with access. But it's often those who completely lack a sense of closeness who understand its greatest need. When you don't have sun, you're like, I need to get me some sun. When you don't have rain, you're like, man, I want some rain. Have it rain, please. Relationships are kind of like this. Right? There, if you're single in here, you're like, I would literally do anything to have a partner, uh, you know, a co-partner, someone to walk through life with. someone. And then you see married people that are literally bickering and fighting, and you want to, like, run up and grab them by the face and just shake them like a 1950s movie. You'd be like, you don't know how good you have it, right? <laughs> stop bickering about chicken wings, right? Like, you just want to tell them, like, stop arguing, right? Because, why? Because you're like, man, I would do anything for what you're complaining about about. But you know at some point they didn't bicker like that, maybe a little bit. 
At some point, there were those, they were those disgusting newlyweds that just like hang on each other. It's like, you're not even going to see us for three months because we refuse to hang out with anybody that's not us, right? We just love each other so much, you're never going to see us. Why? Because there's new, it's fresh. But after time in relationships, proximity can begin to eat away at passion. Because we're close to it, we begin to take it for granted, this great love that we spent thousands of dollars showing our friends and family who already knew it existed. That love begins to erode away, and we're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just with this person, I take it for granted. Apathy can start creeping in. You would think it'd be the opposite. You think the closer, naturally what you would do is love more. I'm thankful for my relationship because my wife is, and we have to be really intentional about loving more and growing in love more. I'm thankful for the strong relationships have shown me that's taken work. But it's crazy how quick apathy can creep in. No idea what's happening back here. <laughs> right? They're having fun. Don't worry, parents. Some of you, your spidey sense is going off. They're having fun. Don't worry. I have some friends who live in Hawaii, really close to the beach. And I was like, hey, oh, man, are you just having the best time going to the beach? They say, oh, no, we never go to the beach. And I want to run up to them like those people and just shake them. Or I'd be like, you're so close. Like, ah, I know, but it's like always there. And it's like, I don't know, this is a lot of work. It's a lot of, right? For those of you who love the beach, does that just infuriate you in your spirit? And like, how dare you? How dare you be so near water and treat it so poorly? You don't know. You don't know. Now, when I go to Hawaii, I sprint towards the beach. Right off the plane, I leave my family, I abandon them at the gate, and I run. I run to the beach. Why? Because I know what I'm missing. I know what I'm lacking. And I, I think beaches are great, sun's great, relationships all great. But as we gather here together, I mentioned something at the beginning. We have received the love of God. But my question is, how do we respond to the love of God that is for us? Because many of us feel that we are too distant to enjoy it, and so we give reasons why we can't come near it. But some of us have been near it so long that we take it for granted. To the point that we're almost embarrassed when people sprint to it like the beach. We're like, oh yeah, well, they know there's... But there's a question for us today is, how do we respond to the love of God that is for us? And I want to look at this in Scripture. If you brought your Bible, go to Luke 7, verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. The words will be on the screen. Luke 7, verse 36 says this. One of the Pharisees asked him, who's him? Jesus. To eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Says then, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Says then, standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Kind of mean spirited, but okay. Now let's talk about this. Uh, Jesus is invited into a Pharisee's house. And if you can follow one theme throughout this series, because you come to church regularly, because you lead your family, good job, men. Uh, you would know that there's a consistent theme that Jesus eats with all kinds of people. 
He eats with the poor, the rich, the powerful, right? The lowest on the totem pole. He eats with all kinds of people. But what we're seeing here is there was a very common practice that rabbis, when they would do a big dinner, rabbis at the end of the meal would teach. It would be a time of teaching. And it was culturally acceptable that you could come into someone's house and just listen and hear them teach. And so we, we talked a couple weeks ago about how they would be at the table. They weren't sitting in the chairs. They were leaning forward, leaning towards it, resting on an arm, and their feet were behind them. And they were kind of in a U-shape around the food, and you could reach in. And it was, it was like reclining, and you're just leaning back. It was very comfortable. You're there for a long time. And that's where he would would have taught. And so it was not incredibly unusual for this woman to come in because people were coming in. What was incredibly unusual is basically everything that happened after that moment. Have you ever been someone uh, somewhere publicly and you've experienced uh, aggressive PDA? For those of you who don't know because you didn't grow up in youth group, PDA is public displays of affection, right? <laughs> if you grew up in youth group, you know what I'm talking about. There were always those two kids. Maybe some of them were you. Maybe that's why our kids' ministry is so big. <laughs> Not in you, you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> they were always like making out just pub publicly or just like hugging too long, you know? And there's just like, there's something about, if you ever been, to, I was recently at a concert and I saw people just like making out the whole time. And I thought, can you hear the what's happening? You're very, you spent a lot of money. There's grass everywhere. You could go make out in the grass at the park, right? And there's just something about like public displays of affection regardless of their intimacy, that are, like, eye-catching. This one especially, because in the midst of a crowd, this woman walks up to the most important person and focal point there and doesn't ask for permission at all, doesn't get the okay. It literally kneels down, and what does it say that she's doing? It says she's crying so much that she can wash his feet. That's a lot of tears. I guarantee if one of you started crying that much, everyone would notice. <laughs> I mean, you can do that. It's a church. It's a safe place. But if you came to my house for dinner, <laughs> and you just started crying, maybe it's a friend's birthday party, something, so much you could wash it. That's a lot of tears. She starts crying. She's having a profound emotional experience. She wets his feet. She begins to pour ointment and dry them. All these, like, this powerful visual display. And the thing that is amazing to me is that Simon is so shocked and so upset, but apparently not at what she's doing, just at who she is. Like, he's not, he's not, like, making a big deal out of the things that we would think would be a big deal, like wiping someone's feet with your hair, which culturally could have been grounds for divorce. I mean... She's not that person, but he's shocked at who she was. Why? Because it says she was a sinful woman. Now, culturally, uh, most scholars deduce that this woman was likely a prostitute who was ritually unclean. When they were saying she was a woman of the city who was sinful, they were saying she was a prostitute. Regardless, she was considered by Simon unclean. What does that mean? Well, ritual cleanliness was a big deal in the Old Testament for Israel because it was about purity. When God set up a covenant with his people to keep them from engaging of the impure things that surrounded them, he gave them the law, like how to live in union with him. And if they went against that, if they were in rebellion of that, if they chose sin, they would be unclean. Or if they touched something uh, that was unclean, they would be unclean. And so they'd have to go to the temple. They'd have to make a sacrifice that remembered that God was pure and they were not. And they would have to do like a dove or a lamb or all kinds of things they'd have to do, go wash, different things. 
a rabbi of this time would never let a woman like this touch him. Because if she touched him, he would have to go to the temple and do the things and the washing and make the sacrifice because now he would be unclean because an unclean person touched a clean person. And so si this is what's going on in Simon's head. He is thinking this. Now, I want to preface this with saying just because Simon is thinking it does not mean it's true. Often what can happen in biblical narrative is when someone has the wrong idea, because it's presented first, we think that's the foundational idea. I'll give you a good example. When Joseph has his dreams, and he gives them, and he shares them with his father and brothers, who are not living in alignment with Christ, they give an interpretation that is wrong, and they're like, oh, we're going to bow down and worship you? Does that, do they ever worship him? No. But we, for some reason, accept that as the narrative and go, oh, Joseph's really prideful. According to who? The, the guys who try to kill him? I don't know if we should be taking their word. Right? So same thing here. As much as we're going to hear Simon's perspective, I don't want you to adopt it as truth. I want us to look at what Jesus says. So here's what happens. Simon's like, there's no way he's a prophet. Because if he's a prophet, he would have known. Then he would have avoided her. Because, you know, prophets know stuff. Jesus, verse 40. Look at this if you're with me. Jesus answering. Okay, that sounds normal, except for the fact that Simon never said it out loud. He just thought it, which is, this is such a flex by Jesus. It says, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he answered, say it, teacher, like he's caught, right? Jesus knows the thoughts of Simon and then responds to what he's thinking. Could you imagine this moment if you're Simon? You're like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And then Jesus hears you think that and goes, actually, you're like, no. <laughs> it's like when I see my kids and they're like, I can see that their wheels are spinning. They're going to do something. I can see like Henry and he's just looking at it and like I can see he's processing and I'm like, don't do it. And I know in his spirit, he's going like, how did I, he know? It's like, because I can see it on your face, dude, right? I can see you're going to do something dangerous and uh, I mean, go for it. But Jesus, on the other hand, he senses what is in his heart because Jesus is God. Jesus knows his heart and says, well, actually, here, let me prove to you I'm prophetic. And he begins to teach him according to what's in his heart. Here's what he says, verse 41. Everyone still with me, amen? Amen. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii would be a day's wage. So one owned a year and a half of salary and other owned not that much. When they could not pay, let me read that again. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you've judged rightly. I like how Simon can't even bring himself to just be like the one. He's like, I suppose, right? He doesn't want to admit that he's been had. This is like the most blatantly obvious parable. But in the sense that it's blatantly obvious, I think we skip over it. Two people. Both could not pay their debt. It does not matter what their debt was because neither of them could pay it. Both could not pay. Both were forgiven. Here's the difference. Who appreciates it more? Let me ask it a different way. 
Who will recognize the reality of what has been given and give thanks accordingly? For whom will it change how they love? The one with the greater debt. Even though they both could not be paid, they both could not be paid. Who will recognize that they could not be paid? The complete hopelessness of their debt and will in turn love fiercely. And so here's, remember what I said, don't adopt the narrative of Simon, let's adopt the narrative of Jesus. Here is what Jesus thinks, verse 44. Still with me, amen? He says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I like it because it says Simon saw her, but he turns to him and says, do you, do you see this woman? He says, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I told you I've been wrestling with this scripture for three weeks now because I believe it's more powerful than we recognize. I've heard so many sermons that are like, yeah, Jesus just takes us. We're messy, but he takes us. We're broken, but he takes us, which is true. That is profoundly and completely true, but that's not what he's teaching here. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. He, that Jesus is not showing, like, look how nice I am, that I let dirty people come near me, right? He teaches that other places. But I think if we think that way, we begin to adopt the logic of the Pharisee that says, I am clean and she is dirty. There's two kinds of people. There's clean people and there's dirty people. No, there's two kinds of people. Those who have experienced the love of Jesus Christ and those who have not. That's the only category in the kingdom of heaven. Those who have encountered Jesus Christ and those who have not. Yeah, but that person's a prostitute and that person's a politician. Same. It doesn't matter. In the kingdom of God, there are two categories. Those who have experienced the love of God and those who God is desperate for them to experience his love. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Every one of us is a sinner with a debt we cannot pay. If you're writing down, I want you to write this. Every one of us is a sinner with a debt we cannot pay. Why do we use this term debt? Because it was a common form of understanding in the Old Testament that sin was a debt. Meaning this, is that to sin was not to sin against someone, it was to sin against God. There was a debt that had to be paid because of a choice of rebellion and sin against God, a separation. And so when God gave them the law, he made a covenant relationship with his people in the desert. They would make sacrifices for their sin. It was a continuation of the symbol that it took life, it took sacrifice to restore the death that has been chosen through sin. The debt of their sin would be paid through a sacrificial lamb so they might receive forgiveness. That's a symbol that they had had since they were freed from Egypt. But if we look 
In the parable, both parties have an unpayable debt. No matter what they did, they could not pay it. And yet, how is it that we think the one with 50 is so much more righteous than the one with 500 as if that matters? If it's unpayable, it's unpayable. I think sin is the greatest equalizer of mankind because we all have it and none of us can fix it. You can have all the money you want. You can't buy your way out of it. You can be the worst sinner on earth and you have just as much access to grace. Doesn't matter if it's 50. Doesn't matter if it's 500. I think we like to think that there's some separation between sinners. We like to think that way. Oh, Jesus wouldn't let me touch him if he knew I was blank. Not according to Jesus. You're making a category that he does not make. There are two categories in the kingdom of heaven, those who have experienced the love of Jesus and those who are yet to experience the love of Jesus. But all have sinned. Romans 3, 23, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are all sinners, true. But our debt, if you're right now, I want you to write this down. Our debt of sin has been paid by Christ. Some of you are like, I've been in church, I know this. I think we know this in our mind, but today, could you know it in your heart? Our debt of sin has been paid by Christ. The parable they could not pay, so they were pardoned. That is an act of mercy and grace. We have been pardoned because Jesus Christ came into this world to pay our debt. Jesus was the ransom for our soul. Every single one of us. You're like, no, I'm the greatest sinner. It takes two Jesuses to die for me. Nope, just one. It's the same. Jesus came to shed his blood so we'd be saved. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. If in the world's eyes you're a big old sinner, you're saved. In the world's eyes, if you're a pretty good person, you're still saved. Same salvation. The prostitute's debt is paid. The Pharisee's debt is paid. And everyone in between. We joke here, it doesn't matter if you're at the country club or the strip club. Everyone's debt is paid. The third thing the parable is teaching us here, and importantly that Jesus is, is walking through, is that salvation comes through faith in Jesus. See, their salvation came through the forgiveness of their debt, not through their works. It was canceled by the moneylender, not because they put in overtime. It was canceled because of who God is. Romans 8, 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. It says, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I love that. If you got your Bible open, just look right now at verse 47. He says, your sins are forgiven. And in verse 48, he tells her how. You are forgiven. How? Verse 50, your faith has saved you. The Pharisees said, well, to be forgiven, you've got to go do the sacrifices, and you've got to go through the, the rites and the laws, and you've got to go through the practices. And Jesus is like, no, she's saved right now by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, for grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And Romans 10 tells us, because if you confess with your mouth, 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one heart one believes and is justified, and with one mouth one, is conf one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I love that this parable, I love that this scripture, I love that this dinner contrasts two people. One who recognizes what they have received and one who does not. One who recognizes the salvation that they've received and is overflowing with love and the one who could care less. Let me ask you a question. Not according to how the world sees these people, not according to their status, not according to their background, not according to their past, not according to the baggage that they bring into it, not according to the walk that's ahead of them and the journey they need to go on, purely according to the principles of the kingdom expressed by Jesus Christ in this moment. Who is living in the freedom and love of God and who is missing out? Who is living in the full recognition and love of the freedom and sin? It's the one with the greater debt. It's the one who goes, thank you, Lord, that you have saved me. I need you. Who's missing out? Who's really in deficit? See, the Pharisee thinks she's in deficit. She's insufficient. She's unclean. But he's actually the one who doesn't get it. Just like, listen, homie, you think it's her. It's you. You've missed out on the beauty of what I came to do because you don't think you need me. You're good enough. There's a danger of being good enough. Like you grew up in a Christian house, so you know the right words to say to not get in church trouble. You know what I'm talking about, but you don't live for Jesus. You don't walk out in the freedom that he brings. You just know enough to not make your parents mad. Man, you're missing out on the freedom the, it almost like makes you angry when you see new believers. Because you, you want to tell them like, ah, this is not real. But it is real. You've just forgot. See, he missed out because he was like, I'm good enough. I got enough money. I know enough. But he's missing out on the love of God. I'm going to give you two things here. One, the love of God is for every person. Simon's logic and this is honestly, this is what I've been just, God has revealed to me over the past couple weeks. Is that I, I've almost like, I like kind of went with Simon's logic. Like, yes, this person. She's broken. She's messy. And Jesus is stepping. Simon's logic is that this woman, because of her sin, is an outsider who should not be touching Christ. But Jesus doesn't seem to believe that at all. We see here, we think, oh man, it's such a mess. It's such a messy moment. But Jesus takes her anyways. Jesus doesn't see her as being in deficit at all. In fact, I think Jesus sees her as the most clear reflection of heaven on earth. We can't get over how someone looks. We can't get over their past. We can't get over our past actions or labels or titles. Jesus doesn't seem to care at all. He doesn't call her a prostitute. He doesn't call her a sinful woman. He just receives her love and says, man, you got it, girl. Keep doing it. He points to Simon in verse 44 and says, look at this woman. This is the only person in the room who actually has it figured out. I've been trying to teach you people for three years, and you don't seem to get it. You're trying to do all these things and argue all these things with me. She actually understands. She gets it. 
Now, we don't know when, but at some point she encountered Jesus Christ. Before this scripture that we're reading, there was all these encounters where Jesus is ministering and teaching. And at some point, she encountered Jesus, and she made a decision to put her faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because in verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. But her faith, when he's talking to her, when he's talking about her love, he's not saying, because you've washed my feet, because you've done this, now you're saved. He's saying, this is a response to something you've obviously received by faith. So at some point, this woman received salvation by faith in Christ. So let's put it another way. You have a Pharisee who has not believed in Jesus Christ, and you have a woman who has believed in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, even though he hasn't even died yet. Who's actually unclean? Is it an unclean woman touching Jesus? I don't think so. I think I see a clean woman touching Jesus and an unclean man judging her for it. She is experiencing the joy of putting her faith in Jesus Christ. The Pharisee's missing it. The woman is getting it. And it's so clear that you can just look at the way they're loving Jesus, right? Like, it's so blatantly obvious, we almost want to skip it because it's too convicting. There's three moments, right, of honor and recognition. None of these are required. Isn't that great? That's what makes it so good. That's what makes worship great. It's not required. None of these are required. It says, the washing of feet. If you have your Bible, jump back to verse 44. So you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. It was customary to provide water, or even you might have a servant do it, to wash feet. Simon didn't do it, didn't even, didn't wash the feet, didn't even provide the water to do it. That's such a simple way he could have shown honor, didn't do it. Because, you know, he's like, he's a, he's a good guy. He's like religiously successful, you know. He's, he doesn't really need to do that. The woman is so overwhelmed with love that she wets his feet with her tears. She's like, I can't find any water, but these tears will do, Right? wets it with her tears, and then wipes them with her hair. I love this because this is such a baller move. Because to let one's hair down in that culture, if you were a married person, could have been grounds for divorce. And if you were unmarried, could have been grounds for public shaming. Literally, she does not give a crap. <laughs> I love that. She's like, you can't shame me when God has saved me from shame. I don't care what you think of my worship. You don't define it. It's not for you. It's not from you complete abandon. He says, in the next verse, says, you didn't greet me with a kiss, and she has not stopped kissing my feet. It was customary as a sign of honor and friendship to greet someone with a holy kiss. Simon did not give the greeting. Again, he didn't have to, but he didn't give it. What was even customary? Like, he didn't have to come worship. He didn't have to come to church. He didn't have to engage. He didn't have to. He just, he didn't. He's like, I don't have to. I don't have to. But look at the woman. She kissed his feet. Those are some gross feet. You know how I know? Because they're covered with dirt, tears, and hair. <laughs> Those are gross things. But she's giving love, honor. There is nothing that says, I don't want anything back from you, like ministering to someone's feet. And the third thing, said, you didn't anoint me with oil. That was a sign of care and hospitality. Jamin talked last week about how crucial hospitality was in the Jewish culture. This was a sign of hospitality. 
But here you have this woman. She's not, she's not doing oil. She's doing ointment, an alabaster flask of ointment, something she would have worn, something that would have been precious, that the only way to pour it out is to break it. Meaning she's not giving a little bit. She's taking the thing most precious to her, and she is literally breaking it, pouring it at the feet of Jesus. She gave her most precious thing to Christ. Are we seeing the contrast here? The Pharisee did not recognize that his unpayable debt had been paid, and so he did not love. The woman recognizes she had been forgiven a debt she could not pay, and so she poured her love on Jesus. She broke her heart upon his feet. She's literally living out when Jesus is asked, what, what is the greatest commandment? What's the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Is there any better picture than this woman at that moment? I find her to be extraordinary. I know we're supposed to think of her as this sinful, broken. I, I don't see that. I see a worshiper. I see a child of God. If you come before the feet of Jesus today, you know what God sees? He doesn't see your past labels. He sees a child of God. That's what Jesus sees. I want to give you one final thing. In fact, band, you guys can come up. A life of worship is birthed out of a true gratitude for salvation. A life of worship is birthed out of true gratitude for salvation. It's Psalm 63 where David, though he is suffering, cries out and says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I remember opening uh, Christmas gifts with some family, some extended family who will rename uh, remain nameless just in case they listen to this. And as we were opening gifts, they opened up the gift that I, I mean, I, I thought was cool, opened it up, and literally, like, in, it was like one motion of ingratitude. They opened up, they're like, huh, and then just tossed it over the side of the couch. And I was like, oh, we're returning that. <laughs> that was what I thought. Like, be, I don't know if you ever experienced that where you give somebody a gift, and they're like, oh, okay, and then just like, just get rid of it, and you're like, Oh, message received, right? The opposite's true when I give gifts to my kids. Lucy especially is so fun to give gifts to because she responds like you literally just brought a star to the earth. You're like, this is Play-Doh. But she's like, oh my God. And she's so pumped, right? She's like, thank you so much. She'll like hug you. She's fired up. Can I just say it's way more fun to give gifts to those who appreciate it. And how I know they appreciate it is by how they respond. I'm not a complicated person. That makes sense to me. I know my wife loves me by how she treats me, by how she loves me. I know she knows she's loved by how she responds. If she's not responding and I try to love on her and if she's just standing there ignoring me, I might say, there's something wrong. There's something blatantly obvious about the expression of love. Neither of these people was forced to love on Jesus. One of them chose not to, and one of them chose to. Why? Because there's two categories in the kingdom of heaven. Those who have experienced the love of Jesus and those who have not. And the world wants us to look at all these other figures, and Jesus is saying, just look at this. Look who has experienced the love and contrast their worship. Now, when I say worship, you're going to think this. But I'm saying a life of worship. 
Worship is singing praise to God. Worship is submitting our posture before the Lord. Worship is declaring truth of Scripture through song. But it's also spending time in the presence. It's also prayer. It's also service. Serving is an act of worship. Going to love the block, act of worship. Generosity can be an act of worship. What's amazing is I've traveled the world and seen people worship in many different ways. I've seen prostitutes in Honduras weep at an altar. I've seen prisoners in Mexico, literally in the prison, lift their hands and sing at the top of their lungs. Like sing songs like this, intimate songs. You think like, man, if you said this thing, I think you'd be worried that someone would stab you. But here you are singing it, unafraid, unashamed, embracing each other, running to the altar. Not with a style of music, with their whole being. I've seen churches made of sheet metal, shaking from a choir of voices, singing in a key I can't even find. I've seen some of the worst worship bands and some of the best worship on dirt floors, in hot buildings. I've seen some of the best servant-hearted people serving without compulsion. I've seen people giving freely. I've seen people who have to drive, take a bus, take a train to show up two hours early to risk death to serve small children that they might know about Jesus. Why? Because they have to. No. It's because they are responding to what they have been given and they recognize the reality of what Christ has done. And now I want to be careful, but not that careful, because I want to contrast what we see in the Western church and the lives of believers. What I love about Banner is I love seeing people respond to the love of God. I love seeing our team loving on others. But can I tell you, that's not the norm. I don't know if you know this. That's not the norm. The norm in worship is to be a statue. Unless it's something you really like, then you'll give something to God. The norm is to be stuck in the mud for serving like you're doing God a favor. <laughs> the norm is to be a cranky miser for giving. Why? Because if I can be bold, can I, be, can I just share? Is that okay? Okay. Western Church, we are the Pharisee. We have been close enough for long enough that we have taken for granted what God has done for us. And we are comfortable enough with enough people who know enough that we don't recognize that we are all the prostitute and that there are only two categories, those who have experienced the love and those who need to experience the love of Christ. And it's not like, just like the Pharisee, it's not like you have to. But man, we're missing out if we don't. The only person we rob is us from walking in a loving relationship. We become like those, that old couple that bickers who once celebrated their love and prioritized it. We become people who bicker and complain and take things for granted. I was thinking the other day of, of Celebrate Recovery. We were talking about Celebrate Recovery. If you've ever been to a, a Celebrate Recovery worship, that's my favorite because I see like the most uh, uh, people from every walk of life, but you'll see like some of the toughest dudes just like worshiping the Lord, like singing so, and just literally like praying for each other and serving and loving. Why? Like no one told them they had to do that because they're responding to the love that God has given. They are 
fervently rejecting the lie that men don't worship. That is, that's not the right church. That's the Western white church. Worship is not a style. It's a lifestyle. Born out of the recognition of the great love of God for our life. To minister to the heart of God. We lift our hands, not because someone told us. I lift my hands in worship because God broke the chains away from my life. We dance our feet to the music, even though I can't dance. Any, any non-dancers here? Right here, non-dancer. The wedding starts dancing, that's my cue to go. <laughs> but it's because God has removed what has chained me to my sin and shame. We shout because God has given us a song of salvation especially men of the church, we need to lead the shout and declaration of the truth of God over our families instead of being silenced by the weak men of the world. We spend time in his presence because he's good. We kneel at his feet because he's worthy. We bring our laughter, we bring our weeping, we bring our joy, we bring our tears because we love him. We worship with our life because we love him. Hear me again, because we love him, because we love him. So much of the church, hear me, so much of the church has been do this so that you might love him. But can I tell you, would you just tear everything else away and go right to the heart, which is the love of God and do I love him? Have I received it? Do I recognize it? And then everything else you do, let it come from that moment. When it rains here in the valley, it gets me excited. It gets me excited because I don't see it very often. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so, I, like, I go out in the rain. I spent my life avoiding it. I go out in it now. But I think something I'm near all the time is the love of God. It's become like the sunshine here. And I've asked myself this week, does the love of God stir me like it used to? Or have I just a little forgotten what God has done for me? Do I think on what great of a debt God has paid for me? Do I allow that to affect how I worship Him? Am I the woman or the Pharisee? And can I tell you, this might be the only time I'll ever say this phrase, but I'd rather be the prostitute to know the love of God and to love him so fully. Would you stand with me today? I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to give you two responses, you and the Lord. This is you and him. And in fact, here's what I'm going to do. This song, I love that we're singing this song this week. To minister to the heart of God. I don't think there's going to be any greater response than this. And so, in just a moment, I'm going to give you two responses. But I'm going to open the altar up. And I just want to invite you, whether it's the altar, it's your seat, or in the side of the room, is to respond to the love of God according to the love given to you. If I have two questions, one. Have you experienced the love of God? Like I said, you might try to categorize yourself today. You might be thinking, if God knew that I was blank, he wouldn't let me touch him. And can I tell you, God does not think that in the slightest. Jesus does not think that in the slightest. Jesus came for you, for God so loved the world. Not, 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 not for God so loved when the world put itself together, he could finally come near it. 
But for God so loved the world, God loved you that he sent his son for you. This is the most life-changing thing on the earth. And if you have not received the hope of salvation, then I want to invite you to it today. The only qualification is to open your heart and surrender to him and say, I receive your love. If that's you today, every eye closed and head, every head bowed. Do not disqualify yourself. Do not put yourself in the category of good enough, but receive today the hope and healing that comes from him. If that's you and you have never received the love of Jesus, or you are not walking today with the love of Jesus Christ, I just want you to lift your hand and put it back down. I want to pray for you this morning. Let's pray together, Jesus. I thank you that if anyone is in you, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That you made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. That all who hope in you today are saved. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, raised from the dead, that we have salvation. And I thank you for the heart secured in eternity through you, Jesus Christ. And I pray right now that you would give them such a deep revelation of your love for them. God, that's what we need today. God, we need a revelation of your love like never before. Even you today. If you say, I know the Lord, but you know what? I, I struggle to recognize his love for me. I pray right now over your life that you would get such a revelation of God's love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you are right now, you're beginning to write it off and write it away, but God is trying to speak to your heart and reveal the depths and riches of his love for you. If you're here today and you're just saying, God, would you reveal to me how much you love me? Would you just lift your hands to heaven and begin to pray to him and say, God, reveal the depths and riches of your love over my life, over my heart. Speak truth into my life. Take away the lies of the enemy. Take away the deceit. Begin to reveal to me how much you love me, Lord, that I might walk out of here secured in your love this morning. Just you and him. Right now, you and him. Speak to him. My second question is this. In light of the love of God, do you love on God? Here's all I want to do this morning. Eyes closed, head bowed. I want to open the altar. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I need to fully receive a greater revelation of God's love from me. It comes by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. I need to receive that. I'm going to invite you just so I can come forward and have a moment with the Lord. And if you're here and you're saying, you know what? I think I've received that, but it is not reflected in my life of worship at all. I just want to encourage you. Would you come forward and say, God, would your love flow from me? And would you just begin to minister to the heart of the Lord? Jesus, I pray right now you'd stir our hearts. And I pray right now for those who are being stirred that they would come to have a moment with you and you alone because it is by your love and your love alone in your name. Just come right now. If that's you and you're saying, God, I need you to give me a greater revelation of your love, just come forward right now to the altar. If that's you and you're saying, God, I need you to manifest more clearly through me. I want to love on you, God. I want to respond to that love. Just come forward right now. Come on, don't be afraid. We got a great example, the woman at the feet of Jesus. She's not afraid of nothing. If a prostitute can do it, you can do it. You're not coming here for me. You're not coming here for the next person. You're you and Jesus. Jesus, I come to your feet. I open my heart. I pray you would reveal the depths and riches of my love to you.
And I want to pour my love on you as God begins to restore your heart, as God begins to speak truth into your heart, would you just respond however he feels led. If you're in your seat, respond however you feel led to love upon the Lord as our worship band leads. If you feel like lifting your hands and surrender, lift them. If you feel like kneeling down, if you feel like just pausing and resting in stillness in the truth and love of God, rest in him. But whatever it is, may we respond to the love of God today. Let's worship the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.